Uh, We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the continuation of our our view into the seven letters uh, that Jesus has has given here to these churches. And this morning we're going to be looking at the church in Thyatira, which is going to be in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, which is going to be page uh, 1029 on the Bible there in your row, if you want to grab one of those. Also this morning, if, if you know someone who is in your life that, that doesn't have a Bible, or if you are still reading the King James at home and you're like, I can't understand this because I'm not living in the 17th century in England, and you need a Bible that you love, that you want to read, that you want to study, take that with you this week as a gift. Um, give it to someone else. Take it home for your own personal study. We're a church about the Word, and so we want you to have that um, in your hands. Let me start this morning by just telling you an old moral story. So there's an old moral story about a father who was concerned about his son's bad habits. And so he decided that he was going to go seek counsel from a much older and wiser man. And upon this meeting, he agreed and said that he would meet with the boy if the father would like for him to do so and see if he could teach him a thing or two. And so the next day, the man shows up at the boy's house and invites him to go on a walk through the woods behind his home. The boy, reluctant to go, nevertheless agreed, and the two of them set off into the woods. The old man didn't say anything to him other than, walk, son. And so they walk. And so as they're walking, they come across a little sapling that has grown up from the forest floor. And the old man points to it and says, pull that up. And so he goes over and he pulls up the sapling with zero effort whatsoever, And he instructs him to place it on the ground and to keep walking. And so they do. Short while after that, they come across a small plant. The man once again instructs the boy to pull the plant from the ground. And he does so with a little bit of effort, this go-round, but places it on the ground after uprooting it and continues to walk. Again, minutes later, the man comes across a bush, instructs the boy to pull it out, He does it. He struggles with greater effort this time, but is able to succeed. Finally comes to a small tree. Once again, the boy, with all of the strength that he could muster, grabs onto the the trunk and is able to to pull it up. Thinking that this was a fruitless exercise, he finally instructs the boy to turn around and points at a large tree right behind him says, I want you to try to pull that up. The child chuckles and says, there's no way I could pull that up. He says, try anyway. And as you can imagine, through grunts and strains, he tries and tries and tries, and he cannot pull up the tree. And so finally, he sits down on the ground, and he says, why have you wasted my afternoon making me come into the woods to pull up plants? And the old man looked at him, and he said, to teach you a very important lesson, son, The deeper the roots of each plant, the harder it was for you to pull up. So it is with your bad habits. The longer you let them grow, the deeper the roots will become, and the harder it will be for you to change them. And so as we come to the church at Thyatira in Revelation 2 this morning, what we're going to see essentially is that there are some bad roots which have settled into the soil of this church. But rather than uprooting them right away, they were allowed to grow, and they were allowed to fester to the point 
now that it's, it's hard to pull them out. And, and it's, it's become enough of a problem that the Lord is going to speak to it. Right? The Lord is going to show up and, and, and proclaim things to this church because instead of dealing with the problem when it first came about, they allowed it to grow. He's coming to point out to them that, that there's a tolerance that they have, have given toward a, a false teacher who is in their midst. And it's not only gotten to the point now where he's coming to correct them, but there's a consequence that is coming as well, not only for her, but for those who've held to her teaching. And yet, despite this growing problem, we're also going to see this morning in this letter that there are faithful believers in their midst that haven't fallen prey to either the, the trap of tolerance or to her teaching. And so we'll see this, this commendation for the church and this encouragement from the Lord even as they live and exist alongside others in the church who've been led astray. So let's take a look at this passage now. We're going to read through it together all the way through, and then we'll go back and begin to understand what the Lord is saying to this church and to us this morning bit by bit. Starting in verse 18, it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead." And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Take a look back at verse 19 with me. I want to look at this commendation that Jesus gives to this church first. The first thing we see, and we've seen this in a couple other places as we've been looking at these seven letters, but the first thing he says is, I know your works. And church, that should be the greatest encouragement in the world to you this morning. Can I tell you why? The Son of God, eternal, immortal, with, with eyes like flames of fire that, that burn away all that is on the exterior, who sees to the spirit and to the heart. Even though we saw where this was headed, right? We know that there's correction coming. We know that these guys don't have it all together. We know that this church isn't batting a thousand, right? Even though we know that's coming, Jesus' first response is to recognize their fruit 
and the labor and the effort made in faith because of their love for him. And that's encouraging. It's encouraging for me this morning because if I'm really honest, and if you're really honest this morning, there are areas in my life where I still allow sin to fester and grow. There are roots in my heart and in my life which should have been uprooted a long time ago and are not. I'm still in the process of being sanctified. Amen? It's going to take me a while. Someone's working on me. I'm thankful for that. There's areas in my life where I'm not trusting God. There's areas in my life where I know better and I do the same things over and over and over and over again. But in spite of that this morning, you know what? Lord sees you. He sees you. He sees me. He recognizes that there are areas in our life, as bad as they are, where we are still walking in faith, aren't we? And we're trusting him, and we're honoring him, and we're listening to his leading and to his guidance and his call upon our lives to love him more than we love our comfort or our acceptance or the things that this world says to love. And so Jesus this morning, before anything else, looks at this church and says, I see your works. See what you're doing. And what works does he specifically commend here? Look at what it says in verse 19. He says, I see your love, and I see your faith, and I see your service, and I see your patient endurance. Even more, your latter works exceed the first. What does that mean? That means if we, if we got in a time machine and, and, and we all went back and did church on, on this Sunday morning with the people of Thyatira, we would walk in and we go, man, this is the most loving and friendly group of people I've ever met. They are nailing it in that department. They're consistent. They're faithful. They show up, especially when it counts. Their actions and their character match the character of Jesus. They don't give up and throw in the towel when it comes to expressing their faith and their devotion. I mean, these are the guys who, when you've had a bad day and you need someone to just talk to, you're, you're calling up someone from the church in Thyatira and going, man, I just need someone to listen and to pray with me and to encourage me, who's going to walk with me just like a friend would because that's what they're known for. That's what they're going to do. When you're sick, they're the ones who are showing up at your house with a hot meal. And not just like throwing a lasagna in the oven. We're talking like bake from scratch over here, right? These are the people when your mower breaks on Saturday are mowing your yard at 7.30 in the morning and you're like, what are you doing? And they're going, your yard is a total mess and your mower's broken, so I'm mowing your yard for you. What's, like, what's the big deal, right? When you need to go to marriage counseling on Friday because it's worth it, it's worth it to keep working on it, they're saying, hey, drop the kids off with us and then go get dinner afterward. We got it. We got you. They're there, day in and day out. They're about the work of Jesus. They're loving him. They're serving him. They're loving and serving one another, right? And Jesus commends their service. They get it. And not only do they get it, but what did it say in verse 19 as well? Your latter works exceed the first. Basically, what Jesus is saying is the older you guys have gotten in the faith, the more you have pressed into this, Right? You serve more faithfully, more full of love. You endure more patiently now than you did at first. You haven't shrunk back. You've engaged and you've grown. I couldn't help as, as I was reading through that uh, to not think about my parents. They're absolute models of this, right? And you know people like this too. Both my parents are, are retired now. Mom's been retired for seven years, or 20 years. Dad's been retired for about seven. Um, and 
they put in their time, y'all. They had to deal with me, which was a lot. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me at 15, right? Um, they probably pray, prayed the same thing, right? They did their time, right? They raised three boys. They did their time with sports, scouts, marching band, camps, after-school activities, you name it. I don't remember some weekends that we were ever home. Like, we were just gone all weekend doing stuff, right? You know what they're doing in their retirement? My mom is volunteering at a pregnancy resource center with families that have very little income and don't know if they want to keep this child that is a blessing from the Lord, but maybe doesn't feel like a blessing because they, they didn't know what to, to do. And she's sharing Jesus with them. She's praying with them. She's giving them hope in the Lord. She's going up and, and stocking clothes and diapers and bags. She's telling us stories every time we get together about what the Lord is doing through her ministry there. She doesn't have kids at their church. She serves and he serves at VBSs during the summer at their church. They're 10 to 12 years deep into leading a Sunday school. Not that numbers count, but like every Sunday school in their church has struggled over and over and over again. And they like, they, they can't fit enough people inside the room when they have Sunday school. And every single week they're faithfully showing up. They've prepared questions. They're ready to engage people. Because they're, they're walking with seasoned saints, they're also walking with men and women. We hear this every single month about a person who's lost their spouse or has an adult child who's having a really hard time. And you know what they're doing? They're stepping in and they're engaging. They're pressing in with love and service and devotion. And they're praying and they're organizing meals and they're meeting with them. And they're, they're stepping into the hard seasons of life with people and being a representation of Jesus Christ when people need help in the hurt. They're praying for me and, and my brothers and our spouses. They're praying for their grandbabies. I just talked with them this week. Both of them are walking with aging parents who are in their twilight years. And, and thankfully, both my, my grandparents love and know the Lord, and so they're trying to walk in a grace-filled way with understanding toward aging parents and, and do it in a way that, that brings much honor to, to them and to, to Jesus. And the world would just look at them and go, you guys did your time. You did your time. You did the work. You spent enough time in kids' ministry and student ministry and all these other things. Why not just play golf? Nothing wrong with that. And rest and enjoy your retirement. And that's just not who they are because you know what? Their desire to serve the Lord is greater than their desire to serve themselves or to be served. This has only increased over time. Their latter works exceed the first. And listen, I, I, I don't have to look outside of the walls. I don't have to use my parents as an example to be able to point around the room and see people whose lives absolutely mark this unequivocally. And it doesn't have anything to do with age. It's a matter of, of seeing and getting a taste of Jesus over here and then never looking back. Just going, if this is who my Lord is, how can I not serve him with the rest of my life? That's why many of you, week after week, you set up chairs and you unload carts and you do it over and over and over again. You open up the Bible with three-year-olds because you know that you're building a foundation that lasts and you're gonna keep investing over and over and over again. You clean your house every other week or every week and you set out food 
praying, Lord, for two hours, whether it's a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or a a Monday night. I I want people to come into this place and encounter you and build meaningful relationships in the Lord. And so over and over and over again, we're going to invest and we're going to do that. And listen this morning, the Lord says, I see all of that. I see your works. I see what you're doing. Even if no one else does, I see you. I see you honoring me in your love and devotion and faithfulness and service to one another. And that's worth commending and that's worth celebrating. Right? This isn't a bait and switch where it's just like, I'm going <coughs> to compliment you over here, but then lean into you over here. You know, Girls just like, oh my God, your outfit is so cute, but also I hate you and I'm never talking to you again. Right? <laughs> that's not what this is. It's not a bait and switch. Because we know what follows these verses, don't we? We've seen it in Revelation so far, commendation and correction. But this doesn't take away from the genuineness of praise for the faithful work being done by this church. And so it raises a question for us this morning before we move on. How do you hear the voice of God in your life? How do you, Christian, hear the voice of God in your life? Is he showing up and pointing out all of your faults and just disappointed at you for not being better not being more holy and not having it more together? Or is he showing up and saying, but I see all of the things that you're doing in faith. I see it. And yeah, maybe there is this thing over here, right? Maybe there is this thing over here that that, that needs to be addressed. And, And if so, he's broken for you in that area and he's wanting you to repent and he's inviting you and and drawing you back to himself, but he's also for you. And he sees the way that you operate out of faith and trust in him. So, so you have this commendation, much about this church to be thankful for, and yet there's this problem, isn't there? There's a problem. We've got to address it. See, within the walls and among the faithful followers of Jesus, there's an error and false teaching that has crept in, and it's settled down and it's growing. A prophetess we see in verse 20 has risen up, and false teaching that's crept in, and this isn't a new concept, right? The, the problem of false teachers is all across our, our New Testament scriptures. If you, you, you read it, you can see that there are people who are twisting and perverting the meaning of scripture to suit themselves, or they're picking and choosing what they want to hold to that allows them to have a semblance of godliness, but then still live however they want to over here. And then you can even get people like this prophetess who they call Jezebel, who are not just speaking false things, but they're highly convincing, aren't they? They're persuasive. They get people to buy in and to follow. Right? We see this, we see this warning in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, right? I thought about 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 when, this come, when, when, when looking at this, that the time is coming. And I believe it was, was here in John's day and it's here today where, where people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The issue here, as we look at this church in Revelation 2, is that among the faithful in Thyatira, you've got a large enough group of people who see what she's doing, and instead of uprooting it, they are simply tolerating it. Instead of looking at this woman and confronting her on the things that she's teaching and on leading people astray and going after their brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember, look in in verse 20. It says, she's teaching and seducing my servants. These are Jesus' people. It's 
Instead of going after their brothers and sisters who are being caught up in the seduction of her teaching, there are far too many who are either sitting back and being silent or just participating in it without questioning it. And church, that simply cannot happen. Jesus is too jealous for his own glory and for the souls of those for whom he died to let us sit back and be apathetic or hesitant to say something when we see Jesus' sheep being led toward a path that only leads to death instead of life. He cares too much about you and me for, for him to sit back idly and ignore when error and falsehood and lies and things which lead to death triumph over truth. But it's a hard thing to speak up, isn't it? It's a hard thing to speak up. It would have been for this church as well. So let's talk about why. Let me just give you some context about what likely is going on here. So history tells us, if you look at, at uh, the city of Thyatira, it wasn't a super big city. It wasn't a super important city. It was probably the smallest of the seven churches that we're looking at here, at least in terms of the, the, the number of people who lived in the city. But this was a town of industry, right? They made stuff. In fact, if you go into um, Acts chapter 16, and you see where Paul is going through the, the region of Galatia, he meets a woman named Lydia, right? She's a seller of purple goods. And she's from Thyatira. Huge textile industry in Thyatira. In fact, if you were to go to this area in, in Turkey today, they still produce textiles. But, but they had a number of different things that they would, would do. They, they had tons of goods and services that were coming out of this little town. And so within Thyatira, because of that, all of these little industries were basically organized into trade guilds. So think about it like a, a union today. And, and these guilds ruled over everything, and they controlled everything. And so basically, if you lived in Thyatira, odds are you're either some kind of craftsman or craftswoman, or you're a worker. And really, the only way that you get to make a living for yourself and don't end up homeless and broke, and in that day, that means enslaved to someone else, is you learn one of the trades of your town, and you go and join the local guild, because that's the only way you're getting any work in Thyatira. Which on one level, you go, good for them, organization and business, right? No, the problem with that is in order to ensure the success of their industries, these trade guilds would have everyone who participated in them participate in worship of the God who was over their industry, right? Each of these guilds had a specific God who they believed protected their work, and blessed their work and, and protected their ability to, to keep doing what it is that they're doing. And so if you're in a guild, it's your responsibility. You don't have a choice in this. It's your responsibility. Well, you do have a choice, but they're not going to give you that choice easily. Hey, guildsmen, guildswoman, you need to come over here, and we're going to pray to and we're going to participate in this ritual to appease our God. Because if this, if this goes away, we have no ability to take care of ourselves. And so they would hold feasts with food and wine that were sacrificed to these gods. It was, it was part of, of paying your dues. It was part of being a part of the guild. And they almost always ended in some form of immorality and licentiousness. And if you chose not to participate in any part of that process, man, you were not a good team player. You're not going to get the work. People are going to question what you're doing. You're going to be really stuck because if they 
have your number enough times and they kick you out of the guild, then you're, you're on a very short path toward being homeless and broke and enslaved. And so the social pressure and the economic pressure here is very, very high. And at the same time, around the end of the first century, there's also this teaching that's arising among the churches which basically says, listen, the flesh is evil and the body is bad and all God really cares about is your spirit. So it doesn't even matter what you do with your body, right? There's grace, there's understanding. As long as your spirit's good, you're good. And so it, it gave rise to this ability to kind of just do whatever you wanted to do as long as you called yourself a Christian and believed. And, and so what I want you to see happening here in Thyatira with this, this prophetess is that these two elements, this, this guild life and this, this form of teaching, this form of heresy that's come up, have, have entered into this church at the same time in a really powerful way. And so you can almost see how this plays out, right? You can almost hear the prophetess getting up and saying, listen, your body is nothing. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. We all know that these gods over the guilds are have no power. They're just idols. They're false. So marry that with the fact that what we do in the flesh doesn't matter because it's passing away. Listen, why should we sacrifice our livelihoods or our ability to work by fighting against what the guilds do? There's no power in them anyway. You can, you can be a believer. You can be a believer in Jesus and be in a guild, and you can do the guild thing if you're a Thyatira. In fact, if we participate with them, we can be a witness, can't we? We don't have any ability to love and serve people and give charitably to them if we don't have jobs. So why not participate? Totally fine. And you see how this message kind of gets twisted up, right? You see how this message kind of gets twisted up. And if you're a person in Thyatira and you see this woman's prominence and you see how she's advocating for you to still be a follower of Jesus but not have to break up with all the things you've done for your whole life, you're listening and you're questioning, and if I speak up, and this other guy over here who's following her, who's in my guild, all of a sudden hears me saying things about her and about him and about what he's doing. Is he going to go and rat me out to the guild boss? Does he have my number? What's going to happen? Am I going to get canceled? And so this woman, likely her name was not Jezebel, but if you know Jezebel in the Old Testament, she was an evil wife, married by, by King Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel. And basically her legacy is she came in and said, if you live in Israel, you should worship Baal. You can still love Yahweh. That's totally fine. But everyone else around you, all the other nations, they all worship Baal. And you should go ahead and do that. You should go ahead and fit in over here. You don't want to be isolated from everyone else. She encouraged the people of Israel to be good team players to do those things like the culture around them, and in so doing, led them astray. So there's serious correction here, isn't it? The Lord's going to have none of this. He gets laser-focused, and he says, this is an issue where the only answer is repentance. Simple. There's no room for this in my church. He said, I've given this woman time to repent, which is grace from the Lord, and yet it's not happening. And so he's going to cast her onto a sickbed along with those who join in her sins of adultery and bring consequence. And strike her children, which is not her physical children, it's a term for disciple or followers, dead. And the result is going to be that the churches all around will know that Jesus himself sees what they are doing. 
Look at verse 23. It says, All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, so that's spirit, and I will give to each of you according to your works, things that you're doing in the flesh. You see, he's combating this idea that you see there where, he, where they go, it doesn't really matter what you do. It, all that matters is, is who you are on the inside. And Jesus says, no, I see, I see both. I see both, and they both matter. It's not one versus the other, right? And it can be the opposite of this too, can't it? We're guilty of this today, aren't we? Pay our taxes, we're faithful to our spouse, take the family to church, keep a tight rein on your lips, but your heart be super far from God. Might be more socially acceptable. But does that matter? Jesus wants all of us. And he's not going to sit idly by while people cozy up to the sins of the world while professing to love him. So, so what's the lesson here? The lesson here is that Jesus looks at this church and says, guys, you can't tolerate this. You, you can't tolerate this. You, you have to confront this. You have to recognize that when what is being taught and promoted and lived falls outside of the bounds, you've got to be willing to step in and bring correction. And if you're the one perpetrating it, you need to repent because the Lord is going to discipline those that he loves. And this is a hard idea for us to encounter, right? Especially in today's age because tolerance is a huge cultural value, isn't it? In the world we live in today, hey, listen, you don't have to do what I do, but you can't speak against it. You have to tolerate what I tolerate. You have to celebrate what I celebrate. You got to agree with what I agree with. Otherwise, you're hateful and narrow-minded. And this happens in the church too. You should be able to go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, listen, my, my love for you predisposes me to want you to be more like Jesus than the world. And so I need to, I need to talk about this thing over here. You're labeled judgmental. Hey, I don't need the sin police, Right? I got this. But we have to press in anyway. Now listen, this isn't permission to walk around and point out people's faults, right? This is people in relationship with one another, doing life with one another, who care more about your holiness than you liking them all the time. And we should want that, shouldn't we? Like if, you, if, you, if you're in the room this morning and you're like, man, I, I, I love Jesus more than anything else and I don't always live that out, but if what I believe is true, then, then the greatest aim of my life is to make much of Jesus and for my, my character and my life to be conformed to, to his image. Like if that's you this morning, you should want to be in life and in relationship with people who are more committed to you being like Jesus than you liking them. And if I, 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 I want that as well. I, I want your commitment to me and my commitment to you, even though we may, we may be friends and we may do life together and we may have a lot of time where we're just doing the, the, the things of life alongside one another, parenting, playing games, watching a, a, a football game, you know, whatever it is, at the end of the day, I go, man, I, I know that if my life were ever to get out of bounds, you not only would want to, but you would feel implored by the Lord to step into that space and invite me to repent. Because at the end of the day, if you see something in my life or in your life that is robbing you of the spirit-filled life that Jesus is calling you to, we want to see that change. And it's not about calling out sin and error for the sake of calling it out. It's, it's inviting us to participate in the work of sanctification where we say, listen, we've all agreed together that, that we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh and we're putting on the new self. 
And yet, here in this church, for far too many people, they just stayed silent. Fortunately, there were some who didn't. If you look at verse 24, we see that this act of tolerant toleration wasn't being done by everyone. In fact, there were people who were speaking up, and so there's commendation for the rest of you in Thyatira. Look at verse 24 and 25. It says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. In other words, you have no greater work to do than to hold the line. Remain steadfast. Let your works of love and faith and devotion and endurance continue. You know what's difficult to endure in? It's difficult to endure being in a church where you're watching someone run away with disciples of Jesus around false teaching and be willing to speak up and say something, knowing that it could potentially come at great economic and social risk to your own life, and yet you, you just continue to press in and do it anyway. You'd be, you be an advocate for truth. You'd be an advocate for, for being right in the Lord. And so Jesus looks at these, this group of people and says, keep rallying for the truth. Keep pressing for the honor of my name. Continue to lead those who are in this deceitful trap of sin back to the throne of grace that they could repent and find forgiveness. And so that's the encouragement. Hold fast. And you see what the promise is at the end of this? I love what Jesus promises to these people. Starting in verse 26, it says, The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And you will rule alongside the morning star who is Jesus. Because for those who are pressing in and holding fast, they live in a day where they're not in charge. They're not in charge of what they can buy, what they can sell, what they can do. If they don't play according to the rules and participate in the games and the ritual and the worship, they're stuck. And Jesus says, there's coming a day where instead of being ruled over by those who are not invested in your holiness, you will rule over the nations as a son or daughter of the king. And so, hold fast. Nothing that you have here that could be taken away will not be replaced in greater capacity than when the Son of God comes in glory for his saints, for his church. And so, you can hold fast. You can hold fast in the difficulty of that. So what does that mean for us? I mean, I think there's some key things for us to consider as we look at this little church in Thyatira, but there's two big ones I want us to see this morning and, and, and understand, and then we're, we're done. First thing is this, that Jesus invites us to faithfulness in all areas of our life, right? You have this church who's doing a really good job of being about, about the works ministry, right? They're loving, they're devoted, they're doing all of these things right. But where they're struggling is in believing right and guarding and watching doctrine closely, right? And, and those are both ditches, aren't they? where you can, you can know all the right answers and be, be a theological powerhouse, but have no love for people, right? Maybe partially true of the people of Ephesus, right? You've lost your first love. Got all these things right, but, but where's the love? And you can be super loving to the point that you love people straight to hell because you never open up your mouth to proclaim Jesus. Both are ditches. Is your faith evident 
because not just here on Sunday mornings, but in all areas of your life, you're demonstrating love and faithfulness and service and patient endurance. Are you in the word and, and growing to know Jesus more? That's why we invite you to do things like men's Bible study and women's Bible study and to jump into community groups where we're learning about what a healthy church is supposed to be about. That's why there's shepherds training for men on Thursday mornings to participate in. That's why we would love to see you in discipleship relationships with one another so that you can understand the word better so that if anyone, myself, Seth, Robbie, or some random person over here gets up and says, the Lord says thus, you can say, the Lord does not say that. It's not right. And I love you enough to make sure that you understand the error of that because that's a way that leads to death, but there's a way that leads to life. It's through knowing Jesus in his word. And the second thing is this, and I'll go ahead and have the band come back up. We're almost done. Second big takeaway for us is we have to be careful not to give permission to the flesh and to the culture. That's ultimately what's going on here, right? There will always be pressure to conform. Students who are in the room here, listen, there's always going to be someone who is pushing you to do what everyone else is doing. There's always going to be someone to cheer for you, to fit in, and to just embrace doing what everyone around you is doing always going to be someone who will do that. And it doesn't go away just because you become an adult. The pull for us to get cozy with the world and to sacrifice on our convictions will always be there. Are we tolerant of that? Are we tolerant of that? Do we look at that like some in Thyatira did and go, meh, it's not really a big deal. It's not hurting anything. Or do we hold fast to the faith and keep pressing on? Church, as followers of Jesus, we have to remember that our hearts are fertile soil. Whatever we grow will develop roots, and the longer they grow, the deeper they will get. So are we growing in grace and in truth, or are we tolerating the weeds of sin? Let's pray together this morning.